Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Please forgive this short housekeeping note before we start the second episode. I won't do this in future episodes. I'm going to put the housekeeping sort of at the end, I think, in this show. I do it the other way in the other show, but, you know, keep things interesting. But due to how I ended up putting together these first two episodes, this ended up being the right way to do this. So apologies, but let's just get it out of the way. In terms of social media, there's going to be a Why Though fan group on Facebook. So please go just search on Facebook for Why Though, a personal journey through my record collection, and you'll find it please go sign up for that so we can have discussions about the music and alerts about new episodes and all that stuff. If Twitter is more your bag, I am on Twitter, but I'm just going to stick to using the profile that I currently have for my other show, at least just for now. We'll see how this project goes and I might start a second handle, but for now I'm at W2W podcast on Twitter. The show website is Wittenberg to Westphalia podcast.weebly.com. But then if you go into the menu in the banner, if you go over more, you'll see a Wytho page in there. So there is a, a website for this podcast, and you can go there to get blog stuff. Finally, I know this is a bit early in the process to say this. It's always sort of declassé new shows with people put uh, pleas for money right up at the front, like give it some time, dude. But as I said, I've been at this for a while, so there's no point in waiting for me. So I've set up a Patreon for Why Though. Again, if you go to the website, you'll find it, but please do. Patreon is the best way to support me. It gives a small monthly donation to me that, you know, means I have some predictability in how much I'm going to get, and it helps compensate me for my time. If everyone who listens gives a little bit, I'll be able to pay my bills and everything, basically. The reward levels are pretty simple. Um, $1 donations, you get an ad-free feed. If you donate at the $5 level, I'll make up an awesome rock and roll nickname for you and read it on the air. And at the $10 monthly donation level, you'll get access to monthly video chats with me where we can talk about music or history. Right now, I'm going to be doing both in one hour. But if I get enough new supporters on the Wytho side, I'll split that up and uh, I'll let you know when that happens. Anyway, that's it. So thank you very much. And let's get to the second episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Why Though? A personal journey through my record collection. This is the show that asks that most important of all questions, why is this record in my collection? And is it any good? My name is Benjamin Jacobs, the confused owner of the records and the host of the show. 
This is episode two, Dirk Wears White Socks by Adam and the Ants. As usual, if you haven't listened to the album already, there's a link in the show notes, so go to it now. This record was purchased by me at the late lamented Albums record store in Worcester, Massachusetts. The place was a garbage heap. The main color scheme was gray. The only climate control was from a few very ancient industrial fans that prayed for death in the summer, and there was never enough light. The owner of this record store was, as is required by the law of record stores, a surly old man who only talked to people in order to complain about the internet stealing his business. Of course, if he had looked online and thought even at all about shipping, he would have realized that the stuff he was hawking for two bucks a pop to the business school Philistines at Becker College would, even then, have gone for some real money online. But his loss was my gain, at least till he sold the place off. It is a convenience store now, and Highland Street is much the poorer for it. I miss that place. The collection at the store showed signs of curation. There wasn't just any old thing on the shelves, but it also wasn't the sorts of things you would walk in hoping to buy. The shelves were stocked with the also-rans of the 1980s punk and new wave scene, as well as funk and soul records. But not those funk and soul records. I think the best way to summarize this place is that he had a generous selection of records by the time, and very little by Prince. On the other hand, the stuff was gobsmackingly cheap, even for the time, so I would always come away with four or five records by people I had sort of heard of, and one record that I was really excited about. Adam and the Ants was very much in the former category, and so despite having it for nigh these 15 year, I only first listened to the album for this project. I think. I may have listened to it once before, but I think it was this project. Which is honestly a real shame. It was a fun listen, as you will see. But then, this makes it a great place to kick off this project. To contextualize Adam and the Ants, we must go back to London in 1975. The main musical style amongst the kids is called pub rock, which I think is best characterized as being something like classic rockabilly or early 1960s blues rock, except extremely angry and played by art school kids who wished they were working class heroes. The Ramones and a few bands from the new American style that was starting to be called punk and centered around the CBGB's club in New York had recently toured through the area to some moderate success and were influential. And, most importantly, four art school kids had started hanging around a fashion boutique called Sex. The fashions in the boutique were the creation of one Vivian Westwood, who drew on the modernist and postmodernist zeitgeist of the time to present outfits composed of lots of leather, metal studs and zippers, and repurposed, cut up, and recontextualized thrift shop clothing. Her business partner was one Malcolm McLaurin, who looked at the art school kids hanging around his shop and came up with a great way to promote Vivian's fashions. He would form these ne'er-do-well kids into a band, dress them up in her clothing, and send them out to play some shows. Who cares if they could not yet play their instruments, they would figure it out, and they would be a walking message board for the store. Thus were born the Sex Pistols. Malcolm had them write some songs, quality didn't matter. They rehearsed a bit, or whatever, and they played a show at a local art school. One wonders if Malcolm McLaurin had even heard them play at this point. They were put onto a set of pub rock bands with the moderately successful band Bazooka Joe as the headlining act. Then the Sex Pistols started to play, and kind of changed music history forever. 
The rest was history. Punk as we know it was off and running, in all its infinite variety. The important point for us today, however, is that headlining act, Bazooka Joe. Bazooka Joe was fronted by one Adam Ant, born Stuart Goddard. After seeing the Sex Pistols, he, like so many contemporaries in the pub rock scene, decided that everything he had been doing in his life up to that point was worthless, broke up the band, and set about trying to reform it as a punk act. Adam began hanging around Sex, where he met a number of other people who would fill out the band's early roster. Dirk Ware's White Socks was the product of those first few years of the band's existence, being written between 1976 and 1979. The interesting thing about this time span, from the point of view of English punk, is that this was basically the lifespan of punk as a mainstream genre. Punk would and does remain important as a genre, with a significant underground following. But in terms of mainstream success, this was the period, and much to Adamant's frustration, the band never caught its break during this limited window. Ultimately, he hired Malcolm McLaurin to come on as their manager, in the hope that he would find a way to get them into the public eye. Instead, Malcolm McLaurin convinced all the members of the band except Adam to quit and form a new band called Bow Wow, which is, uh, as we will see in next episode, just such a classic Malcolm McLaurin move. The album itself is everything I love about this era of sort of er-punk rock, which was just on the verge of shattering into its daughter genres of punk, new wave, post-punk, ska, etc., 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 Adam's voice is, let's say, a high tenor. It's high for a male vocalist without being falsetto. The delivery is energetic and melodic, while also somehow monotone. And that really characterizes the whole record. His energy, a great sense of melody, and some great musicality and musicianship for the genre, but with syncopated rhythmic style and a set of tonal choices that were calculated to make people uncomfortable at the time, and certainly even today, come off as different and unique and exciting. Tonally, the album is somewhere between sarcasm, cynicism, and unthinking joy. It's nothing I haven't heard before, but there is more to that statement than you might think. On the one hand, my favorite bands of the time were trending in this direction, though none of them went to quite the frenetic art school extremes of Adam Ant. So this kind of music was in the air. On the other hand, more modern bands have definitely been influenced by this record, notably the Futureheads. Now, I love the Futureheads, and the Futureheads love Adam Ant. In fact, I think it's fair to say that their first album is like 50% tribute to Adam Ant's first album, to the point that Ross Millard's vocals sound just like Adam Ant's. I don't know in retrospect how intentional that was, but news and tributes definitely stole more than a few musical hooks from Dirk Ware's White Socks, so I have to think it was intentional indeed. Which is sort of a little bit disappointing in terms of my love of the Futureheads, but is totally wonderful in and of my appreciation of Adam Ant. In terms of the lyrics, the songs are good, but not mind-blowing. They are fairly typical for the time, lots of general political stuff and themes about conformity and the military being bad. The songs have a fairly loose pop structure without being formless or self-congratulatory. More lyrically ambitious songs like Nine Plan Failed and Digital Tenderness are less impressive than the more fully integrated songs like Table Talk or Animals and Men where the lyrics are more pieces of sculpture in a larger musical art exhibit. In all these episodes, I am going to want to say a bit about the album art. I know if you are listening to this in a digital format, your mileage may vary, and in most cases I'm not going to recommend that you run out and buy these albums. But this is part of the experience for me, and it's my show. 
The album art in this case is just not very good. This is honestly fairly fitting for a record put together piecemeal by a touring band that was barely holding together without any record label support in an era before art production software was available on a laptop. But the visual choices made here are just at odds with the tone and texture of the music. There's sort of a weird David Lynch vibe to the cover art, which is just completely at odds to how the music sounds. This is probably partly why it took me so long to listen, if I'm honest. In any case, that just about wraps up the first real episode of the show. Obviously, I will be keeping this album, and I look forward to listening to it again in the future. In a rough month's time, we will be following this up with another Adam Ant record, this time the album Viva La Rock. So get out there and give that a listen. Links in the show notes. In the meantime, I would love to hear your feedback about this episode. Do you like the format? Do you disagree with anything I said? Hit me up. At time of recording, I haven't yet figured out my social media presence thing and uh, how I'm going to deal with donations, but by the time I post this, I probably will. So I'm just going to leave space here for me to add that in later. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. I look forward to your feedback, and I will talk to you again in one month. Until then, enjoy, and I hope you find the answers you seek in your record collection. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.